Shane Kilkelly. And I'm Kyle Thompson. And you're listening to General Intellect Unit. And we're back after our uh, our winter break. Yes. <laughs> Indeed, a uh, bit of the, uh, the traditional winter slowdown, uh, but we're we're back in action. It's a, it's a whole new year, whole new year of nightmares yet to come. <laughs> but yeah, fucking hell! <laughs> Last, oh boy, what a what a what a fucking what a, what a December! <laughs> oh, oh no! Oh boy, I, I feel like well, I guess we already had a separate discussion about that on Alpha to Omega. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I feel for you. Um, Big time. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, uh, onward and upward and so on. Um, yeah, this time we are kicking off the year with a, a special episode. Um, Kyle went to New Zealand to interview some folks. Uh, Kyle, who are, who, are the, who are these people? What's this episode about? Right. So uh, a very un-winter uh, themed episode here <laughs> because we're in the middle of summer uh, here in New Zealand. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I went to, uh, the N spiral dev Academy, um, in, uh, Wellington, New Zealand and met up with the, or with three members of the Lumio, uh, decision-making software cooperative. Um, so talk to them, uh, about an organize, uh, their history as an organization that kind of emerged out of, um, Occupy, that emerged out of um, this larger uh, sort of social organization and spiral and what lessons they've learned, what challenges they've faced as a self-managed organization. Um, Also managed to kind of bring some discussion of the VSM and how it's relevant to their experiences in there. Um, And so, yeah, I think uh, anybody who's, interested in um any kind of self-organization in any kind of like applied vsm stuff uh or just like in any kind of mutualist enterprise cooperative what have you um i think you'll find this this discussion quite interesting indeed um yeah and i guess without further ado on to the interview Okay, so uh, I am here at the Inspiral Dev Academy uh, with some worker owners of Lumio. Uh, Care to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Michael Elwood-Smith. I'm a director uh, of the cooperative and um, a worker member. I've been with the company for uh, just on seven years now. My name is John Guerin. I have my eyes laser focused on group success, as we call it at Lumio. I've been with the co-op for a bit over a year, <clears throat> also a worker owner. Uh, Gregory Khan, and I am one of the developers. And I've been in Lumio for mm. the same amount of time as John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost two years. Yeah. Great. Okay. So uh, my first question for you is, what is Lumio? <laughs> yeah, great question. So <laughs> Yeah, so, so what Lumio is today and what Lumio was when it started out, um, it's still very much what it was. It, it, Lumio is a, a worker-owned cooperative. It's a social enterprise. It has a particular mission and purpose to help people be involved in decisions that affect them. Uh, it is um, primarily a software company uh, and also an open-source uh, software company, um, as was established from the beginning. And 
in terms of what kind of company, uh, which is, I guess, where our questions have evolved over the time, is is uh, we are a for-profit company in the, in the instance of being a cooperative and an enterprise. Um, we have the mission to reinvest our profits back into uh, ventures and opportunities that help to further the mission of the cooperative. Uh, we are uh, and remain primarily a software company. And uh, a couple of the members that we'll talk about um, probably as we go through this call uh, are still Lumia Cooperative members, uh, but they're also doing consultancy work because we found over time that uh, developing and talking about self-managed organizations, uh, which I guess was a term that's come even since we originally formed about eight years ago, um, certainly decentralized organizations, is uh, something that is both a, a culture um, as well as a practice, so something that people needed to uh, explore and consider how they would go about doing that. Uh, and then a tool, a software tool, which allows you to um, actually put that into practice uh, in your organization. Right, so Lumio is both the name of this cooperative and also the name of your the main software. product. Yeah, correct. Of the okay. software, yeah. All right, great. Um, and uh, just for uh, you know, people who are considering uh, forming a cooperative, uh, I was wondering what the actual legal entity of Lumio is. Is it an LLC? Or, uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, in New Zealand, uh, Lumio is a registered limited liability company, mm -hmm. which is equivalent to yeah, LLC. Okay. And, uh, but we are registered as a cooperative, and so uh, it is a formal uh, registration in law, in company law, and, uh, and once a year the board uh, need to declare that they are still operating as a cooperative and with cooperative principles. And as part of that we have a constitution which is a cooperative-based constitution. I see. So there's a, there's a little bit of separation of the legal registration and then the cooperative registration of, of the entity. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, separated but linked. Yeah. Right. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Good to know. Uh, just it's very different across jurisdictions yes. what cooperatives end up being. So I was interested in getting that on the record there. Um, okay. So uh, can you talk a little bit more about what Lumio, the software product, is? Mm hmm. So Lumio is a tool that supports group collaboration. It uh, can be useful for all kinds of different groups from companies to volunteer organizations, member-driven organizations, whether those are co-ops or even uh, different political organizations have used the tool. And we see it being used in a lot of different ways, but a lot of it boils down to how do you start and hold conversations that move towards clear outcomes? Uh, and oftentimes that looks like action or collective action. Other times that looks like shared understanding. There's you know certain government projects and um, more formal boards that are wanting to have just like a really nice record and be able to look back, hey, why did we make that decision? Or, oh, that's not working. What were those alternatives we considered? So Lumio is kind of like many discussion forums you might have seen, but our innovation is that we have really honed the platform to drive those discussions towards 
uh, and named and explicit, um, here's where we got to. And that's primarily through we have uh, proposals in polls, uh, which we call decision tools, but we're also even more calling facilitation tools these days because we kind of have realized it's not always necessary to call it a decision even. You know, sometimes your group just really needs to have a good conversation and leave that with a, a better understanding of, of where everybody's at um, and stuff that you can use to, to move the group forward. So we see a lot of groups using it for remote work for sure, but even groups that are um, co-located or, but it, it definitely helps people organize across time and space. So groups that can't meet up in person where meetings are more expensive, Lumio can save them meetings even. Uh, we've heard customers report back to us. So. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I'll just, uh, hook onto that a little bit. Uh, so you're quite a distributed cooperative. Is, is that correct? Um, in terms of your membership, um, well, we have a small membership. Uh, in fact, currently there are only eight members. Um, and as a worker-owned cooperative, our membership has um, fluctuated mm. uh, because it's important to us that the people who are engaged in the work are actually in in the voting position, if you like, of controlling the direction of the company. Um, but yeah, currently, uh, even of those um, small members, uh, we have yeah, three of our cooperative members are um, offshore, two currently in Italy and one in Rhode Island in the U.S. Okay. Um, so I know, for example, uh, in Canada, that per, um, that would pose a major challenge for a cooperative because uh, there's, a, there's a requirement that the majority of uh, board members be residents of Canada. Mm. Um, did you have any uh, challenges of that sort here? Um, well, we have our board uh, is um, has currently got three local residents of New Zealand and and two which are offshore, one in Germany and one in um, in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, it 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 doesn't cause a problem from a. Uh, from a government perspective, from okay. a legal perspective, um, but it can cause challenges from uh, financial, mm. uh, particularly the financial, the banks and the control and uh, these things like um, foreign accounts and so forth. And right. Who's got the controlling interests? Um, and and did you have any sort of problems of like banks not recognizing your status as a, a no, 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 because okay. we're registered here in New Zealand and uh, we operate um, globally. Okay, great. Um, so Lumio has a relationship with another entity called Enspiral, right, which mm-hmm. owns this dev academy that we're located at right now. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what that relationship is? Hmm. I'll, I'll start to begin with, and then I'll pass to John to fill in a lot of the gaps. So Inspiral is uh, a collective network of several hundreds of people um, across the world. Uh, of people trying to do work for good and or good work um, essentially and of that they are, it is a mixture of individuals mm-hmm. um, and ventures and some of these ventures have started from within Inspiral and Lumio was one of the first ventures that was started within Inspiral and its formation came from 
uh, a group of people that were originally act, uh, in the Occupy movement actually meeting up with technology developers um, and cultural developers in the in the uh, in Spiral community that formed the the first version of of Lumio. Right, I see. So the sort of techniques of self management and organization from Occupy were kind of a, an inspiration for Lumio at the start. They were, and it also uh, was the same kind of um, the self-management collective decision-making was very much of, of the mind of Inspiral mm-hmm. uh, and collective in the early days. And I so see. Inspiral really was the first customer of Lumio. Got it. They, they were, you know, as the software was being developed, you know, across the shoulders, people would say, hey, this is broken or, you know, we should have this feature or whatever. And so it was really developed alongside the Inspiral network community. I see. Okay, great. Um, so uh, now Lumio um, itself, uh, does it function as um, one big team or is it divided into a collection of subsystems uh, or subgroups, uh, that, that, like working groups that you use? Yeah, we have... Um we, we use, uh, so within Lumio, we have um, uh, Lumio structured as a cooperative so that's all of the workers um, are able to see what's going on at the transparent level. Um, but then we have working groups. So, mm-hmm. for example, we have um, a product development um, working group. We have um, a customer success uh, working group, which is focused on how do we um, ensure Mm-hmm. success of customers. We have a communications uh, working group. And on each of those groups, we are quite often bringing in people outside of you know, the cooperative as well. So uh, you quite often see a, a blended um, operation. But primarily, we're organized around uh, the, the function of the work that we're doing. Right. So... Um Obviously, you have quite a, a small membership uh, here, um, but you still found that the working group model is is functional. It, it works uh, towards the aims of the cooperative as a whole. Yeah, very much so, um, because because we have we have our own specialties and um, uh, and experiences in particular areas. So uh, so it makes sense to have people working at their strengths. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and able to work quickly in the working groups are perhaps the most effective way that we've found to progress work um, quickly. Uh, it also allows much more agility mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the group. And all of these working groups are also operating transparently so that um, activity that's happening, for example, in the comms group, if, if Greg was to see something come up that we were doing in comms mm-hmm. that he had a problem with, for example, and from a development perspective, he could he could sing out and be involved, you know, at that point. But he doesn't have to be involved in the daily working of that of that comms team. All right. Fantastic. Um, I think that really synchronizes quite a lot with the stuff we've talked about uh, on the show already uh, regarding Stafford Beer's uh, viable system model of like, you know, how these things can work together. Um, That's very, very interesting. Um, So, yeah, you you mentioned uh, agility um, and uh, Lumio, uh, does Lumio operate on an agile uh, model or uh, with agile principles, I should say? 
Um, yeah, kind of with our own version of it. Okay. It's <laughs> probably the best kind is the one that's actually suited to your organization. <laughs> yeah, like I'd, I'd probably say purists, you know, from an agile perspective, will look at what we're doing and say, oh, that's not really agile. And, and similarly, you know, purists of lots of different things. But uh, yeah, so we run, we run two-week sprints. Okay. And um, and what we found most importantly, and this is something that you know, maybe have, have helped, um, is that we found that uh, developing rhythms of work is perhaps the most important thing because then we get into to rhythms and patterns, and we you know, and these are the points where we come together. Mm-hmm. So today, you know, with a small team, and we've run this more formal in the past, but today with a, a smaller team, we are running uh, two weekly sprints. So we start the sprint with. Uh, with the sprint planning work, we look at the work that's coming in. Um, it's our opportunity to check in to, together, uh-huh. um, but also to challenge each other about, you know, can this work be done in this time? Is this the right work to be done uh-huh. in the next two weeks? Uh, quite often we're agreeing and even pushing some work back, you know, to a later sprint um, because as priorities change, uh, then what appeared to be important in you know, one week is not necessarily as important the next week. Oh, we've learned some new information. Uh, and then we run through that two weeks. Um, we're checking in as a small team on a, on, a, on a daily basis as well as that progresses. In a week's time, we have another mid-sprint check-in where we look at the work, particularly for any blocks mm-hmm. that are coming in, anything that we can do to unblock those. And then at the end of the sprint, uh, we have a kind of mini-retro where we look back at the weekend and a demo of the work that we um, have done, particularly that needs to be shown to the rest of the team. Okay. Yeah, so um, you talked sort of about the importance of, of, of cadences and rhythms to your work. Uh, do you think that has anything to do with this being a process of self-management versus something you might see in like a, a traditional capitalist firm with management coming from the top down? Hmm. I do find, I mean, across, and I've, I've worked in a consulting capacity as well, doing kind of organizational capacity development or capacity growth. And I do find with more self-organizing teams that having an explicit cadence that people have agreed to, yeah, it's rather than somebody saying, this is when we're going to have it. Mm-hmm. It's rather like, no, we've created a, a drumbeat. And that means that none of us have to be kind of the coercive element or, or also just the nag, you know, people get busy um, and, and being really tired at the end of a day and you're like, Oh, I've got to go to this meeting. You know, sometimes it's nice to have that, um, established already, like as a team, Mm -hmm. this is where we can set up some systems that are going to push us to be our best team self I guess right right uh, I think also the fact of regular communication between the different working groups um, I'm sure people are familiar with the term of being siloed off mm-hmm. from each other which happens in a high, traditional hierarchical organization I think it's important to know what each you know each um, other member is doing like each one else each one else like what everyone else is doing right yeah. Right, right, and and so there is that uh, that coordination dimension of like you know checking in on the sprints, doing triage together, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's uh, important there. And I think we've really found the the value of that rhythm 
uh, you know, there are times when we sort of look at each other and think, oh, should we meet together? You know, we're, we all know what we're doing. We're, we're totally into the work. Um, and then we make the time and we do meet and we find new stuff, you know, that comes that emerges from that meeting. And we realize, oh, yeah, that was important that we, we, we took this time mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. to do this. And, and sometimes, um, you know, sometimes things change quite rapidly. And I, I know, John, you've experienced this before that, you know, what, what appeared started off at the beginning of the month to be an important job. And it suddenly has been deprioritized because something else has come up that mm-hmm. we needed to really focus on. And if you're not, if we're not meeting regularly with that rhythm, you you risk losing context, and and therefore, you know, your response to that could be, "Oh, my work is not valued," which mm-hmm. is not the case. It's that it's that the work has um, shifted uh, mm-hmm. in a way, and and that um, um, by being along with that journey. You know that we we know that we need to take take a slight change in direction. Great. So just speaking to that a little bit, like if the project you've been working on has been uh, deprioritized temporarily or perhaps more long term, um, what kind of structures do you have for somebody in that position to like speak up about their feelings regarding that, like mm-hmm. uh, just you know to be heard. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's those weekly rhythms primarily. And then I'll name that growing up with Inspiral, it's interesting to see Inspiral and Lumio and all the ventures around us typically use check-ins, which Mm -hmm. is just some time at the top of the meeting to share what's on top for you, how you're feeling, and typically doesn't have like a time limit. So it's really like space for any airing of whatever needs to be said. Mm. Um, so I think that's one thing that we've done pretty well is preserving those spaces. And and I think one thing that we've, yeah, kind of recommitted to in the last year is, is having the retrospectives, like what's going well, what could be better, what are some specific changes we might want to make, um, and just having time for that. Um, right. To, yeah, just do that continuous improvement. Great, great. Um, so that kind of brings up an, an interesting point, which is like, what does Lumio do to um, understand its environment, to plan for the future? I mean, you've mentioned retrospectives; those are always useful for that sort of thing. But uh, you know, aside from the sort of day-to-day. Uh, project uh, management and development um, and just getting the work done. Uh, What kind of uh, venues do you have for looking at what's going on in your market, for what you might need to plan for ahead, what your, you know, operating situation is? Mm. Yeah, we, um, so every day we're in contact with our customers as the primary um, customers and users of Lumio every day. And, uh, even if some people don't hear from us very, very often, we're, we're talking with people every day. Mm. Uh, and, and I'd say that's the primary way because uh, the, that tends to be an online chat to begin with. Uh, and then uh, many times we are doing uh, direct interviews uh, with, with customers. Uh, we are, John is, um, is reaching out as part of, part of his customer success story to connect 
uh, you know, with our new, particularly with our new paying customers, about um, how to help them get started and to mm. understand their environment. Okay. So we're able to, to hear from and get, and our customers are generous. They tell us, you know, what it is that they're struggling with, what um, I guess problem has led them to come to to look at a tool like Limio, what they're trying to achieve, and and we learn a lot about. Uh, what's happening in organizations through that, which helps us to improve and bring that into what our new feature development should be, for example, right. um, and, and where the priority should be. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we, you know, as being part of a network like Inspiral, um, I would add further that we feel nurtured in this network. So mm. the hundreds of folks that are out in the wider network of Inspira, like our eyes and ears um, out into the marketplace as well, uh, connecting with um, organizations and people, uh, often change makers, um, people looking at uh, new trends. We have good networks with consultant groups uh, and um, uh, yeah, many, many organizations really that are that are out doing new things, um, and I've just actually come from a lunch with with one of our um, one of our friends that, that works in a local um, NGO a nonprofit, um, and talking about some of the and hearing some of the challenges really of how a nonprofit organisation is dealing with 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 self management and and more to the case that that people are. Um, are more scared of it <laughs> uh, than anything, uh, and more comfortable in their existing structures. So it's so I'd say it's a combination of you know online chats, in person interviews, uh, and customer contact. Right. I think one along with that is like doing some collaborations and regularly trying experiments of how do we work with you know from a kind of more business perspective we might call them channel partners but just collaborators you know mm -hmm. the different consultants we had a really nice collaboration with round sky solutions this year and produced a really nice um, guide on consent-based decision making a particular variation of it that round sky calls integrative consent we had a nice collaboration with the team that's uh worked with Inspiral to publish the Better Work Together book that Inspiral published. Um, and so they've just launched Better Work Together Academy and we've hosted an event through them. So these are kind of ways that keep us regularly in contact with folks and, and kind of, yeah, doing sense making with other people. But I think one thing that I wanted to name too alongside that is like, yeah, you know, we continue to invest a little bit in social media too to hear things. But then that sense making, it's not just happening in our meetings. And like, we also have rhythms around like quarterly planning and doing an annual retreat, you know, again, just creating space. Okay. But also we have Lumia. So we're yes. doing some asynchronous conversation kind of all through and through, which is a useful kind of steady collective intelligence that's humming in the background. So, for example, we have our what we call the workers wall, which is just one Lumio thread where, yeah, we drop kind of things that may not fit into any specific conversation happening right now. We have another one that's like, what are other technologies in our field doing? Like kind of looking at competitors or potential collaborators, etc. Um, so we do have that going, kind of like ongoing sense-making as well. Okay, great. So, um, yeah, so I guess this is kind of like the sort of stuff that uh, the VSM would classify as like system four, right? This is 
looking out into the environment, making sense of that. And it's really interesting that it's like, you can see that it's, it's, it's happening at the kind of interpersonal level, synchronously and asynchronously, and then also uh, through the connections of collaborators, and then also through the sort of collective intelligence and spiral. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's a really interesting variety of, of sources um, to see. Uh, great. So um, you've mentioned that Lumio is a, a venture of Inspiral. Um, can you just uh, mention, like, describe what a venture is? Um, uh, I guess a venture is is that its genesis was with Inspiral. Mm-hmm. That it is, I guess, born out of of, um, of the Inspiral. Uh, network mm-hmm. and as a venture it is um, a group of people that have come together and committed to each other to build a, a business uh, ar- around that so a venture in this sense means means a business a business essentially okay. um, and and almost all of the ventures uh, in spiral have a a purpose so they are probably closer to the social enterprise end of the spectrum than they would be mm-hmm. to you know Hard businesses, yeah. Okay, uh, great. That's that's interesting. And is is there a um, specific uh, form of legal entity in New Zealand that is like a social venture, or is is, is that uh, not so much a thing? No, we don't we don't have that. Um, and yet we are preparing right now for B Corp certification. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, New Zealand is pretty straightforward. It's just you're either a, a for-profit company with the extension of being a cooperative, I if, see. You, if you are that, or you're a charity, a non-profit. <laughs> there's, there's no real easy middle ground yeah. uh, for a social enterprise. But there is some work that's been going on to explore whether that is, is a, a good thing to do or not. Right. Yeah, I, I know it's it's been the case for some years that that kind of thing exists in the UK. So I just thought I'd ask about that. Um, situation in Canada is kind of similar to here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, so um, one other thing I wanted to talk, talk about is um, a co-budget. Uh, so it's another tool that has been developed uh, through Enspiral, is that mm-hmm. correct? Um, and do you use that tool here at Lumio at all? Um, uh, we have, um, but we don't use it uh, directly within Lumio. Okay, um, I see. Um, but yeah, no, we've, uh, and certainly the Enspiral network have been using uh, CoBudget. I see. And uh, uh, mainly because we, we don't have the need so much within the cooperative within Lumio. Okay, uh, so uh, what is the origin of like not needing it? Like, what what competencies and capacities do you have as a cooperative that mean that you don't need to use co-budget? Uh, primarily, the budget, I suppose, is being developed uh, as we as we go. Um, it is a collaborative process that we're going, but it's that we're using. Um, but we're not allocating spending, if you like, to individual members to to budget into that. Um, we are more specific about how the how the budget needs to to operate according to our you know staffing needs, our hosting needs, and then what we're spending on communications and market growth right. and work. So it's a little bit more traditional in that sense, as yes. opposed to a. A pool of money of which we're collectively spending for a variety of different projects. 
Right. Well, yes and no. I think the thing with co-budget is the the only thing actually that it has that the Lumio has a dot voting tool, which you can also do budgeting with, right? Like an allocate tool. Right. Is that you can give people to have like proportionally bigger vote in where the budget goes. So you could have one person who has three times the vote as somebody else. And so we also don't really <laughs> come up. I mean, when we do come up against that situation, it's easier to do more organically yeah. in the room or um, mm. we don't like co-budget is particularly good if you have like quite a number of people and there's a variable spend yes. for each person. Okay. Uh, so that's not been our need. So there's essentially uh, an organization like N-Spiral has a larger membership. It deals with more variety. And, and so having a tool with a little bit more fine-grained uh, ability to adapt is, is, is helpful there. But here it's a equal votes and uh, a traditional budgeting process is, is working for you. Yeah, a mixture of traditional budgeting and consent-based decision-making, I would say. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there's not very much traditional stuff we do. But, you know. <laughs> I guess that's but a relative the, term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cooperative budgeting. I Cooperative think. budgeting. Yes, that's good. That's good. Yeah. It, it kind of falls into our patterns a little bit. Our budgeting tends to be quarter by quarter, you know, mm -hmm. with, and we do have an annual budget approval that we do with um, cooperative members um, and with our uh, shareholders. Uh, but other than that, we're effectively monitoring and managing that on a on a quarter by quarter basis. Okay, and um, and we also need to have you know stability in budget as well mm -hmm. because you know it's not changing every five minutes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so um, I think just kind of building on that a little bit, uh, you know, one major concern for cooperatives is that uh, at some point people are going to cut and run. They're just going to take the their shares, take the profits and, 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 and leave. So that presents problems for budgetary stability, mm -hmm. right? Uh, how have you addressed that concern uh, mm -hmm. here in like your constitution and that sort of thing? Yeah, so so that's addressed in our constitution, and that um, uh, so both Greg and John are recent, relatively recent members to mm -hmm. to Lumio, um, and they've they've uh, deposited their one dollar for the share, um, and so we've separated our our share. Uh, the control, if you like, the controlling the voting interest in the company from the value okay. um, of the company. So collectively, we control the value that's created um, within the company. But individually, none of us benefit from from selling our share. Our share only has a dollar now and only a dollar in future. Right. So there, there's kind of a firewall between the cooperative assets and the ownership. Is, is that correct? Um, I, not so much a firewall. Is more that it's it's almost like a different class. Okay. So that cooperative shares uh, represent controlling stake in the company. They mm -hmm. don't represent a portion of the value of the company. I see. Uh, so. But collectively, we control that value right. of the company. So we can decide, for example, that from surplus uh, 
Um, we're not in a significant surplus place yet, so um, it's still theoretical a little bit. But, um, but we can control that surplus, for example, in uh, we could do a distribution out to members. We, can, we have you know, historical members that have been involved, and we would like to recognize their contributions in the past. Mm-hmm. We have um, obligations to shareholders. And then when we're done with all of that, um, we, can, we can look at... Um, uh, either collectively increasing um, salaries or paying bonuses. Uh, we can also look at using um, uh, surplus to invest in new ventures uh, or even create a charitable foundation to, if, if we believe that that's a way to support the funds. But the advantage of this cooperative structure means that um, you know, Greg and John can join for a dollar. They're not having to pay like, I don't know, $100,000 or whatever to right. buy into the company. Right. And equally, when, when they leave, they're only going to get a dollar back. So, yes. So there's no sort of, you know, golden handcuff sitting there to, to hold people if in a place that they don't feel that they should be anymore. Right. So that um, makes entry easier, but it also makes exit easier in a way. It does. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, because, uh, you know, in addition to the value, there's also the matter that it's not going to produce conflict to leave the firm if, if your share is a dollar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, great. Um, so, um, one big question that I have, uh, we've kind of touched on this a little bit in terms of sort of consent-based decision-making, uh, but uh, how do you build and maintain trust among uh, fellow worker owners here? I think um, I, I might start with this and then invite for you guys to, to uh, offer your views on this as well. Uh, I think it's a combination of almost everything we've just talked about. <laughs> um, so firstly, it starts with um, with being clear about our values, you know, of holding integrity, of, of being um, open with each other, of sharing the ups and the downs, you know, of, mm-hmm. of, of how, how we feel. Of, of dealing with issues as they arise rather than let them fester and, and run. So back to our patterns again, you know, the check-ins that John mentioned, um, of, of practicing that um, both in person and online, of uh, taking time out for our retreats to talk about issues, you know, that are larger, you know, hopes and dreams as well as problems, you know, that we face as we go through, you know, what is still a, a long-term startup <laughs> play, uh, and um, and developing, you know, good personal relationships as well. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're we're all working here because we like the people, we like the work, we love our customers, uh, and we, you know, we're we're doing what we're working in our strengths, you know, in a place that we believe in. So. You know, that's what builds, in my view, um, trust and engagement. You know, in the workplace, nobody's here saying, "Oh, you're you're five minutes late to work," or <laughs> or uh, you didn't do that thing, or, or whatever. Or um, you know, so we we have ways of working that through before they become a problem. Okay. Yeah, naming care. I mean, I think that's been something for us this year. Some, some challenging circumstances and yeah and it's everything from Lumio family Christmas party to um, you know it was nice to 
to come into Lumio where uh, the team had already gone and developed some like conflict transformation guidelines and protocols as well. And uh, I was actually working with Inspiral before I joined Lumio and had actually participated in Inspiral developing what we ended up calling a personal conduct agreement and conflict transformation guide and as well as a harassment and abuse policy. And we actually referenced a lot of what Lumio had done at the time. So it was, it was nice to be part of that conversation asynchronously, mm. almost in a way, mm. um, or like kind of participate with that content. And then that's, I think, informed how we've, um, yeah, handled bumps in the road today. And that's definitely a trust building thing to, to be able to, yeah, we can have hard conversations and still move forward and grow together. And, um, yeah, see conflict as a as an opportunity, and and recognize that we're going to have different perspectives, and and being a small company that's still yeah trying to really gain get to a level of like big stability, so to speak, mm-hmm. that um you know sometimes communication falters or like you know humans are humans, um in relationships are relationships, so yeah, being able to to hold that messiness and then. Have, have a beer at the end of a sprint or something like this, you know, right. that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. Having the personal as well as the, the professional and being willing to, to talk through that stuff. And then also, yeah, just connect. Right. Um, any, I don't think I have much to add. Like I don't, I think I won't talk about, I think you guys covered a lot of the formal mechanisms that help, but I think I might point to some of the more contingent ones as well. We're still really small. So we have the kind of intimacy of scale. We're basically having a, a core team for like, what, four or five people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you're on that intimate scale, it's much easier to remember and retain the, the collective focus. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're collectively focused and everyone's working together, it, it's easier to maintain some of these, um, I don't know, stable relationships and trust. Um, it'd be, I don't know, it'd be interesting um, to see if we got a lot bigger whether we would need to introduce more formalizations of, yeah, but for now. And I think that's been the experience, eh? Yeah, we have been bigger, and, and we have some true. of that, yeah. and, and we broke them down. <laughs> yeah, so so we we have experienced a little bit of that. In fact, it's worth, you know, checking out lumio.coop. Right. Um, that... Um, we wrote down a number of the practices and, and patterns and the ways we work that we've talked about. And, and as we found that trust grows in the organization amongst ourselves, some of those things are less important to be quite so um, stringent with <laughs> uh, and, uh, and allows us to evolve you know, to another level, I suppose, of mm-hmm. connection. Um, but we also, in, in our next iteration, you know, when we're a larger company, um, we will we will be you're looking back at those practices and processes again, um, and of course they help new people to come on board um, as well. Right, right, absolutely. Um, so I, I think that uh, one major challenge that people uh, foresee or experience when uh, considering uh, self-management or trying to do self-management is uh, a lack of learned skills for 
dealing with uh, conflict with collaborators, right? Because we're brought up in hierarchies. Uh, we are very used to dealing with conflict uh, in the medium of hierarchies, and uh, you know maybe it's it's arbitration, maybe it is you know finding or siloing, you know all these kinds of different strategies that you might find in hierarchies. Um, so, um, John, you were talking about like seeing conflict as an opportunity. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about how like you've developed strategies for that? Because I, I do think it is a serious challenge for people in these kinds of contexts. Yeah, I think it's been largely interpersonal in the, in the last stage, at least in my experience at, at Lumio, of just like learning each other's like conflict preferences and and just I think Michael said it of just like yeah being direct communicators and and bringing the care and the candor mm -hmm. um and 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 just creating enough spaces with both the whole team and then just like checking in with one another um to be able to to surface the stuff that's maybe not the the conversation you're most excited to have <laughs> in your day necessarily because that's the thing too eh? yeah um yeah but add um a reference to that lumio.coop handbook again and there's a section there called looking after people mm -hmm. and there we describe uh, a number of, of um, systems I suppose that we have uh, implemented over the years that help with that so one of them is stewarding and the concept of stewardship uh, which is really important to have it's a non-hierarchical um, peer buddy system effectively that allows you to you know vent if you need to <laughs> to um, uh, to a steward um, we have in the past we don't have it currently active but we have in the past used a, had a well working group which was a kind of uh, two or three stewards that would actually focus on the well being um, mm -hmm. of people in the organisation we looked at professional development um, a conflict resolution process and, and how things could you know, begin with the conversation with the steward you know, develop um, from there you know, all the way through to ultimately if need, need be through mediation mm -hmm. Can I bounce in? Yeah I think one thing that I've seen with that stewardship piece which has also been something that the Inspiral Network has um, experimented with and had implementations of is I I found a really interesting and healthy, not a gossip culture per se, but like a level of competency around talking about your experience with other people, with somebody else. And, mm -hmm. and as Michael said, being able to vent and kind of just naming, naming the healthy part of that kind of mm -hmm. um, social hygiene almost, I might mm -hmm. say. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I've, I've actually had an experience with a, a housing collective where gossip ended up being really harmful to the group in the long run, and, and that group did eventually disintegrate. But um, I think one thing that I've noticed coming into, um, I guess, the, the working collaborations and relationships that here are, are centered in Aotearoa in New Zealand mm. um, in something that was maybe a bit different than when I used to be, I came from. United States from the Midwest, sure. uh, Indianapolis was a lot of my work experience. I really, yeah, I really appreciated there's, there's a good level of, um, 
confidentiality and like it's it's easy to bring oh i'm having struggles with this human <laughs> like and get advice and know that they're not necessarily going to judge that other person mm. like there's a i think one thing that i've seen in terms of capacities that are not just in lumio but like with with some of our peers in other ventures and, and that we interact with within inspiral dev academy I actually should give a shout out to Inspired Dev Academy, who is doing a lot of work around human skills, okay. particularly, and really investing in that, both for their students who are coming through, um, naming social and emotional capacities as part of their curriculum. Uh, but they even run a monthly human skills meetup group mm. um, that's like open for, I still haven't made it, but I'm intending to. <laughs> and I've had good conversations with the people leading that work. Um, but yeah, just to say that it's... Uh, I think I see a lot of that non-judgment mm -hmm. um, practice really well. I see that competency and I think, yeah, we're learning it together uh, in this kind of ecosystem and of businesses around Lumio, around Inspiro. Yeah, perhaps the last comment I'd just make on that, which um, is, I found this helpful. We're talking about adults talking with other adults. Mm, yeah. It's an adult to adult relationship. Yeah. And you, know, you mentioned the contrast with hierarchical. You know, quite often that can default to a parent-child relationship. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, and so, you know, the responsibility in a self-managed organization is to you know, respect each other and to actually interact, you know, to listen. <laughs> Listening skills, you know, hence the check-in. One of the, our, our rules really around check-in is, um, is, you know, shutting laptops um, taking respect while listening to the other person, not interrupting them, you know. Um, so those sort of little things that we almost take for granted now, but actually are kind of um, learned skills, are important in that adult-to-adult -adult relationship, and then extending that through, you know, every way that we're interacting and and calling out or trying to avoid getting into a parent-child relationship. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's. Uh Something I've seen in a number of organizations as well. <laughs> um, great. Okay. Um, so uh, I've kind of mentioned uh, the, the VSM viable system model uh, a couple of times in this conversation before. Is it something that you've discussed or used at all here at Lumio? Um, well, I didn't know much about it, but I know that uh, John knows more about it. But when I looked at the systems... Uh, it, it seemed to describe a lot of what we've been practicing and working on. Right. Uh, and maybe gave some names to that, but I'll let you comment on this, John. I think the only thing that I thought of in preparation for this chat was, and I have used the tool just a little bit. Mm -hmm. with a, I did some, I ran a workshop for a network that I was part of back in the States. Okay. And I think some of the similar principles have shown up in terms of like, double linking or feedback mm -hmm. and I think it's interesting to see I think the architecture of Lumio um, the tool has both influenced how we work and it's also come from I think some of this definitely lots of uh, folks who have given lots of generous input into how the tool was developed have been looking into sociocracy holacracy mm -hmm. which certainly have lineage with cybernetics and Stafford Beer's work and you know you see some of it in how we've structured groups and subgroups right um, within Lumio and how 
I think Lumia does a really good job of enabling people to be more transparent mm -hmm. with you can have subgroups and it's a specific group of people who are enabled to talk in that subgroup, um, but other people can look in kind of like a fishbowl. Sure. Um, we also have the ability to like move conversations between groups and subgroups, which creates a really interesting, you could like incubate a topic within a specific working group, like comms working group might work up a plan and then bring it into a broader group. Right. So there's some of these dynamics around nested circles and um, the overlaps that I think we've kind of naturally stepped into just kind of by being in the environment with folks looking at this stuff and also building that into our tool, which yeah, we use ourselves to move our work forward. Sure. Yeah. So there's like the, you know, working groups can function as like system one, the inter that fishbowl principle can operate as system two and then mm -hmm. moving into a larger conversation is kind of like system three stuff. It's yeah. So that's, that's really interesting to, uh, to see. Um, uh, all right, so uh, another question I had, uh, we're getting towards the end, I promise. <laughs> uh, what are some avenues for uh, financing co-ops uh, that you have found useful or interesting, um, mm. you know? Uh, well, I guess you look at me for that one too. <laughs> um, yeah, so so I've been involved in financing Lumio from the beginning, and uh, and we've tried a lot actually through this time. So the very first, uh, we've had two crowdfunding mm -hmm. um, campaigns. Um, the first was a tiny amount um, local, and then the second was a larger amount around one hundred thirty thousand um, US, with about over about. 1,200 donors um, to that and it was pretty much in the form of donations it wasn't um, uh, it wasn't um, equity okay uh, we uh, we have also um, taken a uh, friends and family loan in the early days mm -hmm. under a compounding interest but a forgivable loan so in the event that the company didn't didn't um, move forward we found that loans weren't really a great idea because um, the very nature of them is people expect to be paid back at some point. Yep. And uh, <laughs> not only that, they start accruing interest. And, and you know, you remember at school you learn about compound interest <laughs> and how, how that works in your favor if you have a deposit with a bank. Well, it kind of works really against you <laughs> when you're at 8% compounding, um, oh. which is what we were. <laughs> so $180,000, you know, you'd be surprised, turns into $210,000 in two years. Yes, yes. Um, so that was kind of shocking actually to actually see the numbers uh, come out. Um, so I wouldn't recommend that. Um, the next uh, vehicle we used was we worked with local cooperative um, legal expert um, and uh, Deloitte Finance, Deloitte Private Finance as well, to to look at a model called redeemable preference shares. Okay. Because I mentioned earlier about the cooperative structure that the worker, you know, we, we've kind of separated control or the voting from the value. Yes. And redeemable preference shares essentially means that um, uh, it's a soft form of equity that allows people to buy buy a share in the company at a face value and then to have a right to a dividend in future. Mm -hmm. And um, we specified what that dividend would be. So it's essentially a capped return equity model. Okay. Uh, and so that worked well. We've done two rounds on that and we've raised um, you know, collectively around uh, say 750000 
um, US dollars on that on that model. Mm-hmm. Um, we found it effective for individuals, mm-hmm. um, but not effective at all for institutional funding um, because it falls outside of the remit of most funds rules. I see. So, um, so we've kind of you know considered that, uh, and then over the last oh, we've also had some philanthropic donations over the time as well. Okay. But primarily, we've been focusing the last few years on building sustainable revenue through income, which of course is the best way to finance your business yes. <laughs> to, <laughs> to actually have customers to pay for your software. So, uh, you know, in the early days, Lumia was an open source software project. Okay. And and um, totally experimental you know in, in the first days and then as as time has gone on uh, you know we realized the value that of actually being able to chart our own future mm-hmm. and so financial sustainability was a critical element to that okay so last year uh, sorry this year um, this year we actually did a restructure where we we realized that to raise next level of capital funding we would need to, to come from institutions and funds and therefore we'd have to look more traditional mm-hmm. to an equity investor and share control and value. So we've made a restructure in the cooperative where we've moved the member controlling share out into its own company, now Lumio Cooperative, effectively a holding company, okay. which currently owns 100% of Lumio Limited, the software company. Sure. And that's going to allow us next year to raise new capital funding in ordinary equity in Lumio Limited. Um, and so, would that be publicly traded? Uh, it'll probably it'll be privately traded privately to begin traded. with. But our, our ultimate aim, if we're successful with that round, is to uh, to do a direct public offering yeah. uh, and work through, and ultimately to um, to have a hybrid model of a worker-owned cooperative plus a, a platform cooperative. Mm-hmm. So we're sharing effectively um, control and ownership between workers and customer users of Lumio. Okay. Um, all right. So the customer and user side, uh, what would their uh, involvement in that be? Yeah. So, um, and this is why we can't do it right now because we just don't have the resources to be able to build this. But we would be effectively doing a, a DPO, a, a direct public campaign yes. for, for this and inviting customers and users to, um, uh, to pay, to take a share in in a, a segment, if you like, of the company. Okay, so um, this would be again a different uh, avenue of financing from the uh, public trading uh, or private, private trading. The, the private, private trading, sorry, the private trading. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, interesting. So. Um, would that then give the customers who have bought in a certain amount of control over the direction of, uh, of Lumio? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah they, they have a controlling interest. So so we've got a lot of, of work to do before mm-hmm. we're ready to get, to get to that place, but that's where we would like to, to, to go towards. You know, we're, we're excited to see that um, uh, in the platform cooperative space that uh, groups like by Twitter, for example, have been using Lumio to, to have discussions to look at the kind of platforms that are out there and uh, and, and look at the ownership of those models. Yes. Uh, and consider that. And um, uh, but we have a yeah. So that 
that's our, our vision and our goal and where we're trying to work towards. But our first steps are certainly financial stability yes. and financial growth. Um, and we're looking to do that through some some private equity, uh, in, not private equity as a private equity company, but um, you know, private placements, I suppose, with an, an equity investors. Yes. Uh, with that to, to really grow um, the usage base and the customer base of Lumio, and then to look at opening that to um, probably one or two stages towards a platform cooperative towards that vision. Okay. Uh, well, we've we've uh, we've talked. We had an episode earlier on um, Nick Cernicek's, uh platform capitalism, uh, and so it's interesting to hear about this possibility of a platform cooperative. <laughs> uh, yes, that's, that's that's very very intriguing. Um, you might be interested to talk to uh, Trevor Schultz or Nathan Schneider, okay. the platform co-op consortium. That'd All right, probably be right up your alley. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, no, I'll definitely look into that. Um, okay. Uh, so you mentioned uh, originally the individual investment through uh, what was a non-traditional equity model. Um, uh, now that was a fixed a fixed return that you, you, you said, right? Um, uh, so just like I was wondering to go back to that a little bit, uh, if you could mention like. What kinds of individuals are buying it? Is it people who want to support the co-op, or is it just like general investors? Like, oh, I just want to get a fixed fixed return on, on an investment. Yeah, yeah. Look, they're all people that we knew or okay. know um, and connected with, uh, and supported the vision and the values um, and the purpose of of, of Lumio. So, uh, and this this gave a mechanism to allow them to invest that wasn't a debt based mechanism. Yes, um, that we have. Uh, but at the same time, uh, was aligned with with the values and the direction of the of the company. Right. So, uh, so yeah, it's not um, it's not something that's that was generally um, available, and the rules that we did it within uh, we were limited anyway to twenty um, mm. investors in a twelve month period. Mm-hmm. So under that. that those particular rules that we were working under, it couldn't have opened up significantly greater than that anyway. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so that was it was kind of an alternative to the the loan idea that you tried yes. earlier. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. So, uh, what are some uses of, uh, I guess, mainly Lumio, but perhaps other Inspiral products for uh, non-business groups? Uh, we kind of talked about that at the beginning of the discussion, but I was just wondering if there were some particular uh, cases you wanted to highlight, um, uh, mention as it being of interest. I can tell one story just uh, just came up as we've been talking self-management, self-organizing, and, and also transparency. I was just recalling a story that really inspired me from one group. This is actually a company, but I think still endemic of like what groups stand to accomplish sometimes with taking some of their conversations or decisions online. Mm-hmm. And particularly this group was looking at how do we be more transparent and particularly making their salaries transparent. Uh It was really interesting where the founder was like, I've heard that this might be a good idea. It's kind of really scary. Uh 
but I'm going to see what the appetite for this is. And so was able to initiate and have this conversation with the whole company about it. And he put out, you know, I'm going to make this decision at the end. Like we're going to make this clear that this is, this is my decision to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the consultation, everybody was like, yeah, I'd be happy for that to happen. I'd consent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he went away and ended up deciding to do it and they found they had a, a gender wage gap mm. and were able to fix that. Okay. Um, so that was just like really interesting to see like something that could probably feel like a bit of an intimidating conversation to bring up in a room per chance. Mm-hmm. Um, they were able to, to do that, giving people kind of the time to digest it and think about their ramifications and, and share their input. Right. Uh, probably a couple of quick um, examples. Uh, one of my favorite groups is the Zero Waste France um, group, over 500 people across France. And uh, they have used Lumio over the last few years to make um, to, to organize more than 3,000 different events. And one of those events was uh, to raise a campaign with McDonald's um, about um, removing plastic packaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and and they were successful with that. So, uh, really great just to see it used in an organisational capacity with volunteer organisations to 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 mobilise volunteers. Right. Um, Biggest example of which being locally, the teachers union here at NZEI mm-hmm. had an engagement, one of the largest that's been run through the platform yeah. that was with one group anyway of 2,500 teachers across the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were able to come together around their demands and actually decide on, on those demands using input that in conversation that happened on Lumio so with, that- a, with a victory in the end. Okay. Yeah, they. Um, yeah, so they they because they didn't have all of their members, they couldn't run use Lumio as the as the ballot place, but they used it as the discussion place to help educate people and discuss through the issues. Mm-hmm. And it was very very lightly facilitated. Mm. Uh, so uh, so it was quite amazing actually from that perspective. Um, yeah, uh, that was fascinating. And uh, the other example I I might give too would be. Um, uh, there's a group in Cornwall that are uh, making decisions about funding community renewable energy projects, uh, and they have developed a workflow process where a local community project, like a school, would apply for some funding. For example, to put up um, some solar energy uh, on their on their uh, gymnasium. Sure. And uh, they they would by going through this application. Um, there's about 15 key questions that are asked. They run a Lumio thread on each of those. Uh, they answer the questions directly into Lumio. Mm-hmm. They then, um, uh, the committee then uh, connects with the uh, online and asks clarifying questions so that they get good answer. In some cases, ask for more information about that. Right. Um, they then boot out the applicant and then they bring in their council partner uh, that helped provide 50% of this funding um, to then explore further uh, towards making a decision. And then, and because, and they do this entirely on, on Lumio. Right. And they've been able to avoid um, meetings altogether. Okay. So it's just a great example of, of 
of um, doing some good where people are short on time, uh, they they can't travel very easily to meet each other, um, and yet you know, have to work through some important and financial implications you know, of their decision making. Sure, sure. Um, so. I guess uh, in the in the case of uh, was it uh, NZEI, is that right? Uh, now that was a, a feed into like a collective bargaining process. Uh, yes. Yeah. Just to clarify. Okay. Um, interesting. And then so that was brought to the union, and then that was brought to the table of their mm-hmm. negotiating partner, boards of education, or whatever it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, in terms of the the local funding. Um, after the funder had talked with the the organizer, uh, would then the applicant be brought back into that conversation or uh, outside of Lumia? Uh, they would be advised of the outcome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if they're brought back into Lumia or not, but they're... Uh, uh, but what, it, what it's doing is not only providing a communication platform and an opportunity for them to connect, but a clear record, really, of the decisions and the discussion that led up to those decisions. Okay. Excellent. So, okay. So, that transcript would be yeah. stored. Okay. That's that's great. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, one uh, thing that I think has happened online uh, maybe the last decade, uh, there's been kind of a reaction to large uh, social media platforms uh, like Twitter or Facebook or whatever, um, and people have been uh, forming a lot of smaller affinity groups, um, whether that is around a hobby, whether it is around marginalized status, uh, mutual aid, that kind of thing. Um, do you see Lumio as having value for those kinds of uh, groups as well? Absolutely. Yeah, we see lots of different discussion groups come together. Um, I think to one that's been a, a long-burning one I've seen um, and been part of on occasions of uh, like an open app ecosystem and kind of this push towards API-centric development and apps that can communicate with one another mm-hmm. um, so that we can continue to build a, yeah the open source web that really serves the kind of... Um, future that we want together. Um, and so we do have a public groups feature on Lumio too. So it's anybody's welcome to explore groups that have chosen to make their groups fully public. Okay. Um, although lots of groups do use closed and it's invite only, or they stick a, uh, invite yourself link on their website or whatever it is sure. to have a little bit of a door. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I think, I don't know. I feel like one of the important differences between Lumio as a platform and the big social media ones is that there isn't really a focus on your individual identity having like a wall or a timeline mm-hmm. um, where that's where you get like you generate your like or I don't know accumulate like cultural capital or sure. you know, likes validation yes you don't really have that you have the group and it really is driven by the group yes um, you have like a profile but it's very just like a static thing with like a few details right um, and I think that's a huge difference and yeah. I feel like probably that's why um going to you know I don't know ideology and whatever aside like going to something like Reddit feels very different from going to Facebook yes you know, Reddit is also very much discussion or subreddit slash group centric yes it's not about the individuals mm. Um, and their number of followers and things like that. Yeah, that was definitely the one that first came to mind when yeah. you said that. <laughs> it was yeah. like, because, yeah, I've had, um, 
you know, for example, uh, I've been a member of the uh, tabletop role playing game community for a mm. long time. That's mm. very so. It used to be on G plus. Yeah. Um, now mostly on Twitter, but it to some extent it's also been on Reddit. And depending on the platform you're interacting on, it can produce a very different community atmosphere. <laughs> there are very different design goals, and those yeah. design goals have effects. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, sorry, just adding one one key part of the design goal that's different here is that in Lumio, you know, we've we've designed an experience to help you feel safe, you know, within your group. Mm. Uh, and we do hear a lot of people coming to Lumio from the Facebook because they find that um, uh, Facebook is not so safe um, for them individually. Mm -hmm. And um, and of course, uh, the design goal of, of Facebook is to uh, to monetize you know your interactions on, yes. online. That's not our design goal. <laughs> um, so you know, for us. Uh, we just have this very simple subscription and our community is um, our community price is only a dollar a person a year right um, but for that you know you avoid uh, being marketed to and having your data sold to advertisers yes absolutely yeah I think one one more thing I would say is um, while it's good, great for discussions and, and many people find it we do find the groups that really take off on Lumia are the ones who can articulate a common purpose mm -hmm. or are working their way towards articulating a common purpose. Um, so there is that bias towards action or yes. bias yeah. towards um, coming together that, yeah, like a Reddit has a different dynamic than, yeah. Yeah. than that, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, we but we see all kinds of groups succeeding with Lumia as well. Interesting. Okay. Um, so you mentioned earlier that uh, Lumio got started as an open source project. Uh, is it still open source software or has it moved to a closed source model at this point? Still open source. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, the subscriber um, model of usage um, has sort of helped to make that viable for you? Yeah. We um, So we... It, it has and, and, and remains open source today. I mean, we are having some discussions about variations because our intent of open source was to allow, as part of our mission, to allow people to be involved anywhere in decisions that affect them. Yes. And that, um, that money shouldn't be a barrier towards that. Um, on the other hand, we need to run a we're running a service through Lumia.org, uh, which comes with real costs and so forth. Um, yes. So, uh, so that's the that's the service that we are um, making a charge for, and only a small charge actually. Uh, the open source. What I guess what we we're very, we're totally happy for people to be setting up. Um, instances for themselves, for their own community groups. There are a lot of um, Burning Man organizations around the world that are using, <laughs> using Lumio uh, for organization. Um, and or the Yellow Vest movement or a number, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. they're contributing back too by also translating. You know, we've got, a, okay. we've got multiple language translations and it's come you know, through the communities um, that have led. So we have a lot of benefit from that. 
Um, what we're not so uh, happy about is, is people setting up competitive services, right? Um, you know, using Lumio and setting up as a marketplace with different pricing and so forth. So we haven't seen that so far, um, and we may have if we do see it. You know, we've seen some other open source projects having to shift their licenses just subtly to yep. still allow all the things that we want to allow, but just to stop that one avenue of actually creating a competitive model that would um, uh, that could kill us. Yeah, and and ultimately kill the software. Yeah, um, and the mission. So. Yeah, um, I mean we've we've definitely spoken on the show before about you know kind of problematizing or or re-examining um, the existence of open source right now. Uh, just like what is really going to be uh, valuable for uh, smaller scale developers uh, such as yourselves and, and ensuring viability into the future um, as opposed to uh, just sort of feeding into the material base or the general intellect that is available to enormous mega corporations <laughs> that also profit from open source. So, yeah, no, I think it's it's very important to uh, continuously re-examine uh, what the license is, is providing the organization. Um, really, the purpose. Yes. You know, how do we serve this vision of everybody being able to participate in the decisions that affect their lives? And yeah, it's it's interesting to, you know, we've committed. A lot of, well, Michael and and Rob Guthrie, who's not with us, but is with us in a very big sense, our lead developer, mm-hmm. you know, eight, nine years, um, really committing to this and committing down the line to this. So it's like, how do we make sustainable livelihoods around committing to this purpose? Yes. Uh, and so that's a question, you know, obviously we're interested in people innovating and, and being in collaboration with folks, but it is, um, yeah. With a small team, it's, it's hard to think about, like, how do you create that sustainability um, to give give a real chance to invest uh, your livelihood into that purpose. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think everything we've probably been talking about here uh, is is about you know building an, an ethical um, and viable sustainable you know, business uh, so we are you know even the equity structures we talked about earlier um, we're not about um, you know setting up uh, Lumio for a trade sale you know, to a larger company we're trying to create sustainability in yes. the future yes yeah you know. um, I know that uh for many cooperatives, that kind of sustainable uh, purpose is built into a local focus. Um, but uh, you've also found that um, as a, like a somewhat more distributed organization, that that purpose remains remains for you as well. Mm. And at the same time, you know we're working perhaps one of the most competitive markets of the world, you know, global software. Yes. <laughs> global collaboration software. You know, it's tough business out there. Oh yeah. There aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of rewards for being second. Right. Mm. Right. Right. Yeah. It's um no, it's a very interesting case, absolutely, because uh, as, as I said, many, many co-ops are focused much more locally in, in very different markets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
Right. Uh, so another question I had was, uh, what do you see as the uh, potential for the cooperative movement and uh, the union movement or the workers' movement to collaborate? You mentioned before the case of the, the teachers' union here. Um, are, there, are there any other areas you think where uh, there might be potential collaboration? So I, I have a labor movement background mm-hmm. as uh, the start of my professional career. And I worked two, two and a half years with uh, labor unions, particularly uh, Unite Here in the United States. Um, and so across, I interacted with both service unions and actively organizing unions. And then I got into cooperatives shortly thereafter and have been really interested in, and focused on cooperatives since then um, in kind of all of the different organizations I've helped build up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's something interesting, you know, in Inspiral, we're, we're talking about livelihood pods sometimes rather than even talking about worker co-ops just sure. to distinguish a social commitment of participants in doing something of like, hey, we want to share income and we want to um, remove some hierarchy and increase, maybe turn up the collaboration knob. Mm-hmm. But the legal entity is in service of that. So it may or may not be a worker co-op, especially yes. with like, right, Lumia is the first worker co-op in, in New Zealand and, and it was work. You know, we had to invest a lot into becoming that. So oh, wait, um, hang on, you're the first worker co-op in New Zealand? Yes. Wow. New Zealand actually has a strong heritage zone cooperatives, but they tend to be uh, customer-owned cooperatives yeah. and supplier-owned cooperatives. Uh-huh. In fact, our largest um, company in New Zealand, Fonterra, is a is a supplier-owned cooperative, big dairy company, so owned mm-hmm. by the uh, farmers. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, but I, I say that to to point out that. You know, there's there's these particular ownership structures that and there's the principles of cooperativism, which I think are totally compatible with a lot of the 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 healthy ethos of unionism that I've that I've seen coming from the states. And we have actually tons of um, there's some IWW mm-hmm. uh, wobbly groups on Lumio, um, Democratic Socialists of America on right. Lumio, um, right. which is really awesome to see uh, some of the sort of anarcho syndicalists mm-hmm. come on and see that we are developing federated structure for people wanting to do federated distributed organizing. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the case is interesting. People have so many like rigid ideas of what unionism looks like and, you know, a whole range of different experiences from the really top down business unions to actually like good organizing by the workers and like getting, um, some institutional support for Mm -hmm. industries that have high turnover Yes. Um, and so I think it's, yeah, I see, especially if you end up going and talking with the platform co-op folks, I think you'll also see there's a lot of exploration of like, hey, let's break down some of these like really rigid categorical boxes and say like, look, sometimes it's really useful to have an institution related to help workers across a power differential come yes. to good ends. Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think there's there's heaps of potential, but sometimes we get caught up in these um, namings or structure, particular legal tools, etc. Yes. Um, but like ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about the relationships 
um, interrogating the the power relationships that exist within bigger organizations that are both there when you start because nobody's starting with a, a blank whiteboard and right. and also develop with different ability of yeah different abilities different capacities different financial situations etc um, different levels of investment right so um, I mean I, I think it's it's very much the case that right now um, these rigid definitions you mentioned are a little bit in flux. Um, people are interested maybe in uh, unions because they want empowerment in the workplace and addressing those, those, those uh, power differentials or uh, problems of inequality. Uh, but maybe they're looking for something uh, quite different. Maybe they're looking to achieve certain social justice goals. Maybe it's more about self-management. Um, and certainly, uh, the merger formula that's existed between the socialist movement and the workers' movement um, is something that people are thinking about right now, but it's not really set in stone either. So I, I think there's a lot of open room for these kinds of discussions to cross-pollinate and maybe consider different organizational forms. Um, so you mentioned this idea of like livelihood pods. Uh, could you just expand on that a little bit more, uh, just to explain what the, the concept is there? Yeah. So there's just a number of, um, I guess, like formations or constellations of humans who are doing work together or doing work in the same field and committing to share income. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like a proto-cooperative, right? like right. a cooperative by another name of like, hey, we're, we're in this together. Uh, and typically they're associated with some common trade or um, some arrangement that's directly mutually supporting one another's livelihoods. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, we're, I think, I think just like with Lumio and with Inspiral in general, we're really interested in just, yeah, surfacing what's the relationship? How are we committed to each other? How can we do mutual support in practice? You know, yes. how can we make this work to build together? Right, right, right. So it's kind of taking the principles of cooperation um, and making that a little bit more fuzzy in terms of like what is the exact entity this is going to be like this could apply to numerous different sorts of cases yeah i mean in lumia we really want to make people able to name what what it is or what are we doing together right you know what is the commitment what does it mean and so i think that's kind of the, the instinct is like you know we've got to decide how much we're going to invest how much we're going to commit we want to make explicit what the risk is with each other sure and and, you know, some of the things you're not going to name because you, you can't put a price on, like, trust and yes. and having each other's back and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. We do try to name these things, too, in ways that – because I want Michael and Greg to know that I have their backs. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, and, and so, yeah, what is, what is the social um, arrangement or the agreement we can make amongst ourselves so that we can all – personally succeed more and succeed together more. Okay. Yeah, I was in a, before joining Lumio, I was part of a, I guess, more or less a um, livelihood pod. Um, and we, we had a, we had a financial model that meant we 
you know, within constraints, we're able to provide like a basic income mm -hmm. for everyone, guarantee a basic income mm -hmm. every month. And so we, we, we would be pooling uh, a fraction of our, all our incomes and then redistributing it. Right. Um, and it was really interesting because for us, we were a mixture of web developers. Um, we had a designer, um, a couple, like maybe like one, one or two people doing sales. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea was that we kind of be an autonomous functioning, you know, working group. Yes. But also be supporting each other. Right. Um, especially given, you know, the increasingly precarious nature of labor. Right. And work. Um, the idea was to supplement and buffer each other against, you know, the kind of typical feast famine cycle of freelancing. Sure. Yeah. I think that's different from Illumina, of course, but that's just a, another example, I think. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, so it, it, there's this a little bit of an idea of mutual work there, but then also uh, mutual aid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, now, uh, yeah, I would just uh, ask then if there's any final points you would like to mention, any final things you would like to shout out. Um, you've mentioned the, the Lumio.coop. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, but any, anything else uh, to, to talk about here? Yeah, perhaps um, just a couple of things of wrapping up. Uh, uh, I was just reflecting on, on your comments earlier, John, about, um, you know, we have noticed that success in groups depends on, on having a clear purpose or working towards that purpose and and then figuring out how are you going to work together. Mm -hmm. and, and that's probably the one thing that we see common across the the different groups, whether they're unions or cooperatives or or NGOs or or even um, volunteer organisations, um, you know, they the more they're clearer about their purpose and uh, and know where they're going, if it's just a general chat room, yeah, you know, it's it's less likely to be effective for you. You know, we've designed a set of tools to create outcomes, right, uh, to help you create the outcomes that you're seeking. If you don't know what outcomes you're trying to, to go for, it's hard to to apply that. <laughs> right. Um, I guess that brings a thought to mind for myself, which is like, there's purpose, right? And then there's also getting to purpose, yes. right? Um, and you've mentioned that Lumio is, is sort of designed to get there as best you can facilitate. Um, is there anything you would recommend in terms of like, Here's how to get to purpose, right? Because you're saying yeah. purpose is a key to success. So I'm, I'm just interested yeah. about that. Yeah, well, perhaps it's the um, it's first of all the recognition um, recognition that that is important mm -hmm. um, to get to there uh, if it's not already there. And uh, we actually wrote this guide as well, which is part of our help manual called the Guide to Facilitation. And in that facilitator's guide, um, it describes the process of divergence, uh, you know, coming back to convergence. And so we often see that um, developing as, as a group is working towards its purpose. So the question starts with an open question, an exploratory, and that's where tools like the uh, survey tools, the polls, um, so forth. I just from 3.30. Oh, I'm sorry. We're just finishing up yeah, a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> a second. Um, distraction. 
<laughs> uh, so yes, yeah, so the uh, so this this, this divergence um, model is one of exploration and uh, and an invitation of of looking for that, and we we have tools like polls. Uh, which are one of those tools that can invite people to to come in and explore an option, um, and then when we're beginning towards uh, finding that purpose, there's there's um, mechanisms like um, let's run a temperature check. How do people feel about the situation? And beginning that process towards conversions. All right, and is uh, that uh, book uh, or? Um document uh, also available at the, the same location? Or? It's under um, help.lumio.org. Okay, great. Facilitator's guide. Well, uh, it looks like we should uh, maybe wrap <laughs> things up here. So yeah. uh, thank you to all of you very much. Um, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I appreciate uh, your time and, and your contributions very much. Thank you. Nice meeting yeah, conversation thanks, with you. Yeah, thank you. we're back yes yep <laughs> good stuff um i love the uh, the fucking monsoon that was like going on outside the window like what the fuck was that about oh yeah uh well so wellington is notoriously stormy um like it is called windy wellington for a good reason there's pretty much like it's not a, that there isn't a day that goes by without a storm but it's like there isn't a week that goes by without a storm you know, it's 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 just constant high winds and the rain comes in and it just hammers the windows. Um, so that's that's pretty much what you were hearing in the background. There was a classic Wellington weather. It was it was sunnier earlier in the day. And then as I, the interview started, it was just boom, <laughs> hammering the windows right behind us in that meeting. Oh, room. Wow. That does sound metal. Um, our our, our, <laughs> our denoiser plug-in did a valiant job on it, but uh, there's definitely bits where it just gets so much more intense. Um, but hey, um, it's it, it came out pretty good. Um, yeah, it's uh, wow, boy, fascinating, fascinating interview. Um, I found it really interesting that um, they they kind of had that thing of like needing to like needing to have serious kind of like organizational strategies and techniques and such to prevent it from falling apart. You know what I mean? Cause like, is this, um, it's not, it's not like this whole, um, you know, non-hierarchical sort of co-op structure hasn't been attempted before, but there is this kind of like pres constant risk of it just kind of devolving into, um, into a mess. And like they, they, they've really got, they've got it down to a, an art form, right? Like this, uh, these techniques for keeping themselves on track and also keeping themselves uh, healthy and sane. You know, like it, it was really impressive <laughs> that they had, uh, they mentioned a couple of times like that this this uh, care and attention to people, right? Like in the, the care of, of each other and, and of the people involved and also, and also the care of the process and the product. Because, you know, that's kind of, this whole business thing is actually what kind of pays our bills ultimately, right? Like it, it was really fascinating to see that, um, yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think both sides of that question are really important because, yeah, there's the client relationships, um, which help to steer the direction of software development. Um, and then there's also maintaining the viability of each of the members. Um, and 
not locking members into the organization when they don't want to be there, right? So having exit and entry both be reasonably easy to do, um, I think helps to keep the direction of the the cooperative uh, focused uh, because people have real uh, buy-in to what's going on. Yeah, I found that really, it was really interesting the way they had, um, uh, I, I kind of forget the, deta- the details of it exactly, but like it was like the, the buy-in was not like you're buying shares, your, your, your buy-in is $1 and your buy-out is the same dollar, but like it's, you're not sharing in control shares, you're sharing in a, like a stake of, um, in the process. And so it's like they kind of decouple the financial buy-in or, or the, the whatever the share buy-in or whatever you want to call it from the like actual decision control um, buy-in, um, which was really, yeah. really quite interesting. And it meant that like you wouldn't have somebody who like has more shares or whatever invested than anyone else who would be able to just fucking steer the conversation or steer the steer the company. So like getting someone in is pretty easy, as you said, and getting getting rid of someone or, or allowing someone to leave would be pretty easy too. Um, yeah, clever stuff. Yeah, no. It's it's really interesting. Um, I I thought one of the most intriguing things for me as a Canadian coming in and talking to them was like, first of all, like they were the first producer cooperative <laughs> in the history of New Zealand. Amazing, um, uh, which was unbelievable because obviously in in, in Canada uh, we have quite a strong um, legacy of the cooperative movement. Um, uh, because of like, you know, what's often called like prairie socialism. Um, uh, so, you know, in the center of the country, uh, you know, what would be the equivalent of the American Midwest, um, there there is like a really strong and developed uh, cooperative infrastructure that came out of the farmers, right? Um, and what that means is that... Um, well, I, I guess, you know, there's also quite a strong credit union movement, right? That's also a thing. And uh, <clears throat> um, what that means is that uh, the definition of a cooperative in Canada is, is, is very explicitly encoded into law, right? Like you have the Cooperative Act. Um, and uh, it that is positive in some ways because it's it's very um there's a very clear legal structure to work with uh but in other ways i i I think it can kind of close down um the horizons of your thinking um and and so sort of seeing like the innovations they have done in linking up the uh legal entity to ownership and the constitution of the co-op um I I think that's one of the most interesting things I saw at Lumio because it was like, oh yeah, it doesn't need to be exactly like this. It could be a somewhat different organizational form that's more suited to the goals of the enterprise. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. It was um I think that's that's something that we'll need to we need to look into a bit further. Um the the other thing that kind of stood out to me was that um yeah, that like when when you brought up the viable system model stuff, that's like they were like Oh yeah, yeah. We've it, it all. When, when you squint at what we're doing, it basically looks like that in many ways. You know, that like that 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 pattern that we constantly see of like, oh, it turns out that when you look when you use this as a diagnostic framework to look at things, it's like, oh, well, you know, highly functional things do tend to fit this template. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Um, 
Yeah, absolutely. Like it was really easy to see uh, in the context of that discussion, like how the organization would map onto the VSM um, and uh, yeah. And how like recursion functions and all that stuff. Um, so that was, that was, uh, I guess kind of validating. <laughs> it's like yeah. you go and talk to people who have, who have figured this stuff out, like almost entirely without reference to the BSM. Mm-hmm. But like, and you I, I, see it, it kind of converge. At least one person there though is, uh, is familiar with the work, but like they, it's not like they mm-hmm. used us to build the company. It was more like, yeah, they, they got interested. Right. So yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, he was a, a latecomer to the organization. That was uh, John. Uh, yeah, he's a latecomer to the organization. So obviously, uh, his his influence um, on it, uh, its development has been uh, somewhat limited by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's definitely a pattern we keep seeing. Um, I found their um, kind of the, the continuous planning stuff that they were doing. The the stuff that like I think they mentioned like oh well you know what what we do. It, it wouldn't be recognizable as Scrum or Agile or whatever to, you know, adherence mm. to those particular doctrines, but it, it borrows a lot from those. Um, I found that sort of stuff fascinating. And the the way that they handle the kind of continuous planning and reevaluation where it's like you're collectively figuring out what to do for the next couple of weeks. And then you have your check-ins, right? Like little demos and like check-in sessions and stuff and such. And then also the the admission and the kind of like, it, it being okay that it can just turn out that you need to change direction that like, you know, through, through no fault of your own, um, you know, the, the, the project that these three folks have been working on for the past two weeks is just, it, it, we just need to change direction and that's, and that's fine. Right. Like, um, that continuous course correcting seemed really interesting, right? Like it's that, um, and it, but it also, requ- it seems like it, it requires that kind of level of, um, co-op kind of trust and mutual, uh, mutual support and peership to to make that kind of thing possible because like although um, the sort of Scrum Agile whatever techniques have the kernel of the possibility of doing this kind of continuous reevaluation in practice they usually just end up being kind of fairly top down directives because they they are instantiated in hierarchical organizations um, so that the plan is almost never self generated you know as although it's kind of supposed to be or whatever. Um, <laughs> but to see to see these folks doing this like you know really self generated planning and and also being accountable to themselves and each other uh, and it working really fucking good two thumbs up you know um, really really impressed with yeah. that yeah yeah no um, that's that takes a clear degree of um, emotional and uh, you know otherwise mental maturity uh, to be able to say. Um, okay, we're dropping this. It's something I've been working on, but uh, I understand the big picture here and we're managing ourselves. So I can't just, you know, uh, blow off steam at my boss and (laughs) feel garbage about it and then go on to the next job. Right. Like, you know, part of that, um, that sort of like homeostat quality of these like flat organizations is that you really need effective ways for people to deal with their uh, thoughts and feelings uh, towards each other and towards the work um, that's going to 
going to mean that that kind of pressure is distributed evenly and it doesn't lead to collapse or breakage or any of that kind of stuff, right? Or downward spirals. Yeah, um, yeah. which um, is kind of the, the uh, kind of the default, right? Uh, in the absence of uh, in the absence of countervailing um, structures to, to to push it the other direction, it's uh, the the yeah. tendency is towards breakdown, right? And that's, well, that's why yeah, and it, taking this kind of organizational stuff seriously is is worthwhile. And it, it's also that thing that, you know, they mentioned about, like, it's kind of operating in an organization without the model of um, the parent-child relationship. Yeah, yeah. Right? So it's kind of like operating outside of the extension of the, the family unit as the the, the paradigm. Um, and so that's, for, I think, most of us somewhat uncharted territory right um because you know we obviously have friend groups and collaborate with friends on various things but uh and you know maybe we have some uh basic sort of community organizations we're involved in but when it comes to like committing day over day year over year to a productive enterprise a lot of us don't have that experience right it's 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 just we don't have any idea of what to do when there's no boss to look up to there's no there's no daddy or mommy to to you know interface with um yeah and like our uh, the the, our our very concepts of uh productivity or 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 of doing doing some sort of of productive enterprise are tied to these like hierarchical systems and we yeah we bitterly resent them as we as we should right but then we end up resenting just the like positive activity of doing anything you know it's there's there's a certain kind of depressive um mentality that can come over one uh from that right and it can just be this kind of like rejection of activity itself because yes. if you only ever experience activity in these hierarchical structures you'll you'll eventually kind of come to the, the death drive will take over and you'll come to loathe activity um yeah it's uh you know sort of an extreme uh form of alienation totally right? yeah um uh, and, um, yeah, it, it's also just like you come from these patterns of behavior and even with the best of intentions, it's difficult to deprogram them, um, because you're gonna, you know, it's, it's very easy to reproduce, uh, like the abuse that you've suffered or react, like try to, uh, just achieve, um, achieve a kind of familiar, uh, environment uh, by reproducing them, right? So just just familiarity being more valuable than anything that's <laughs> actually good. Yeah, um, you that's, know, um, yeah. that's it. Seems to be the it's the key to understanding how certain structures and systems are autopoetic in this kind of way, like they're self reproducing, mm-hmm. in that they um, they lean on the sort of structure of the human nervous system and the human mind and how it, it does tend to re- reproduce uh, reproduce familiar environments for the sake of its own kind of reproduction um so yeah but like it's it's um you know we can we can we can create better things right and be kind of positive things that are reproduced instead of negative things and so on um yeah and i i guess that kind of gets back to like that discussion about opoesis we had where you know these these organizational forms can be kind of hyper stable even in the absence of like an established organization right like it because we as individuals 
come to the organization and we bring the patterns of behavior with us, we can reproduce the patterns that we come from, even without like, you know, that pattern uh, having an, in being enshrined officially in the constitution or anything like that. It's just, you know, it sticks with you. Right. And, and you reproduce the, the behavior. So the hyper stability is kind of like beyond even just the legal entity. It's, it's the people. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's the cop in your head, right? Like, um, yeah, the, the, like oh, totally. You're you're reproducing the law as you as you go along throughout your day, right? Um, and like, I think we we can look to something like um, the dispossessed as an example of like a, a fiction that contains these like subjects that are very different from that. Where what they what they reproduce is is the the communistic ideals. Like they their their natural instincts are completely opposed to the instincts of the people from their their opposite planet and so on yeah so um i think that's one of the major uh ones like just you know to say that it seems like they're being fairly successful in negotiating that problem yeah yeah (laughs) at at lumio like it's it's um it's not to say because this phenomenon exists it's absolutely determining of, of what can be done right like if you are conscious of that problem you can start to negotiate it and you know it's it's kind of like that idea in um the culture of like them having developed this language over centuries to deprogram yeah. capitalism out of their brains right yeah and like the like, deliberate cognitive machine engineering co-evolution sort of stuff yeah it's um yeah, doing doing science on yourself, right, as an organization to um, to do to do better. Um, awesome. Yeah, it was really great to see that to, to see that uh, in action. Do we have anything else to cover? I think maybe the, another interesting point was the um, the way they slot into the rest of the capitalist system and, and investment and so on, which was mm-hmm. a really interesting peek behind the curtain. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can definitely see the challenges uh, um, of existing in the system, right? Because you know, they got uh, funding from friends and family, which is, um, you know, many businesses get started that way. That's that's not super unusual. But um, moving from there to getting um, other sources of investment um, is a major challenge, right? Um, and so they're looking towards private trading and maybe that means that uh, – you know, they could, um, say, get investment from some of their clients or something like that. Um, and it is private. So like that, um, that relationship can be deliberate or can be negotiated on a kind of one by one deal sort of way. But of course, there's a major concern um, that you're introducing capitalism into the organization as soon as you are selling shares to um, owners who are not workers, right? Um, And it seems as though like they've kind of um, weighed the risks there and said this can be a uh, bridge to uh, achieving a more sort of um, viable uh, cooperative economy here. with hopefully other ideas in the future about getting funding um, and, and, you know, relying a lot on revenue 
in order to fund themselves. Um, and the, the subscriber model, right, as a, as a revenue source, um, all of these things are definitely important. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's definitely a big, uh, big warning uh, sign or a, or a red flag there that they are introducing capital investors because there just aren't very good alternatives out there, right? Yeah, I wonder how different that would look if they were in like Spain with Mondragon or something along those lines, right? Or, or Italy with um, their, uh, you know, fairly, fairly well fleshed out um, uh, cooperative investment infrastructure and so on. Um, yes, I, th- I think that would look different for sure. Um, there's always the question of like, well, how much are those larger organizations implicated in capitalism? But <laughs> a lot. You have to. You have <laughs> yeah. To, yeah, I mean, you you have to um, you have to negotiate the terrain you're actually on. Um, it's not useful to say, uh, well, we can't have a a single iota of capitalism in this organization. Um, and so we're just going to give up. So that, that would not be properly materialistic, right? Like as a, as a as a philosophy, right? Like it would be, oh, you know, if only we could just magically jump track onto this parallel rail where none of these problems existed. Well, yeah, I mean, fucking that would be great. But like all all lines of flight begin in the present. Like there, you are by definition mm-hmm. moving. The vector moves from here to there, and like you have to begin from the uh, the conditions that you're actually in. Um, so that, that has to be dealt with and there has to be I think there has to be some sort of ability to um weigh up these these problems and get and be able to get your hands dirty, as it were, um, but also without losing yourselves. And it, it does seem as if they've they've really weighed those risks properly and are, are aware of what they're doing. Um so that's good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um um it's it's always uh it's always it's always dangerous to play with fire. <laughs> it's always dangerous to play with capitalism. Yeah. But, uh, it's just gonna burn your house down. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, you can mix a lot of metaphors there in terms of like you know it's it's, it's basically there's always the, the 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 danger that it's just gonna eat you right. Um, uh, and uh, you 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 do have to be willing to take those risks though. Um, because you know, the, the rest of us who are working as, uh, you know, wage laborers, yeah, we're not, um, necessarily very involved in capital investment, but, uh, we're still involved in the system. You know, we can maintain a, a sort of mental separation of being like, well, I'm not a capitalist. It's like true, but we're still involved in capitalism. So if you're, if you're making decisions, um, as worker owners, uh, I mean, it, it, there's just a certain degree of like, you have to take a risk of we might we might lose the organization to those old patterns of behavior, but it's still worth taking the risk. Yeah, totally. Uh, wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to cover? Um, there are uh, a number of links that we'll be including in the show notes. Yes. Um, they these include things like uh, useful reading resources. Um, they include things like case studies, um, partner organizations that Lumio has worked with, um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's been uh, kindly provided by Lumio to us. Um, and uh, so yeah, check those out uh, for further information. Obviously. Um, so what happened at the end of the interview was that uh, we were actually running overtime and we got booted out of the meeting room. 
Um, so that's why there was a sudden end to that. And uh, there were just a, a handful of things that uh, the members wanted to mention, uh, but weren't included in the discussion. And so uh, we'll have those in the, the, the show notes for you to check out on your own. Indeed. Um, yeah, and I'm, I, I'm sure that'll include a link to their, their handbook, which is a really good read. Um, they've, they, they, they've outlined some, a lot of how they organize and how they do their thing. Um, definitely worth checking out. But yeah, all that'll be in the show notes. Yeah, as well as some, some other publications they've done in addition to that. So yeah, all worth checking out. Good stuff. Um, in that case, uh, thanks listeners. It's been wonderful. Um, you, while you wait for the next episode, you can find us on the internet. We're on Twitter at GIUnitPod. Uh, we're on the web at GeneralIntellectUnit.net. Uh, we're on all the podcast apps like rate, like, rate and subscribe you know the drill by now you can also check out our sister shows at emancipation.network uh, we're, we're great buddies with uh, Swampside Chats and From Alpha to Omega they're absolutely wonderful shows and wonderful folks uh, Kyle stars stars over there quite a bit um, on the From Alpha to Omega <laughs> show, which is which is starting to wrap up. Yes, uh, as, as as predicted. Uh, well, yes the the recordings for um, uh, Revolutionary Strategy are finished. Um, so that is just like a matter of getting them out there. Um, so that that whole recording process, the long march through Revolutionary Strategy, <laughs> has uh, finally ended. Um, and they are now going to be moving on, uh, to the 18th Brumaire of Louis Bonaparte, uh, which is of course one of Karl Marx's most famous texts on, uh, politics. Uh, so we'll have an interesting discussion about that, probably something a little bit shorter. Um, and, uh, Swampside did a really good episode recently on, uh, sort of rebutting, uh, quote unquote tanky or, Oh yeah, uh, that was a uh, Soviet defensist or uh, you know uh, dickheads, as I like to pro pro Stalinist <laughs> accounts of the USSR and of especially of the Stalin era. Um, so I, I, w- I would definitely check that out. Um, that's that's a good episode uh, for sure. It was a hot episode. It was. Um, yeah, definitely. They were they were great. Great shows. Really fucking good. Um, I have, I have this weird feeling I'm forgetting something. Uh, Patreon? Ah, the Patreon, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long since we've recorded, I've forgotten the fucking, the outro material. Uh, yes, if you go to patreon.com slash general intellect unit, you can throw us a couple of bucks a month. It really helps um, smooth over some mm. of the bills and such. Um, but if you support us at the $5 per month level, you get access to our community Discord, which is hopping. There's some really great folks in there. We get to we get to just chat and hang out. It's really cool. Yeah, even if you just want to lurk and check out what discussions are going on, it's still worth being there. There's some smart folks, interesting you know, links. Some really good links. Um, I can barely keep up with it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's good fun. Uh, am I forgetting anything else? Is there anything else that I'm forgetting? <laughs> I need to script this thing actually. Uh, Finally, after two years, I've got. Yeah, to I don't. It. I don't think so. <laughs> I think. I think we've we've done the thing. I think there's just you know, happy new year. Happy new year. About it. Yeah, we've got some we've got some hot stuff coming this year. Um, we're planning it out. We're going to start recording all the stuff soon. Don't worry, it's coming. Um, but in the meantime, thanks everyone. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.